a drunken brawl involving two queens turned into a legend about a nude duel is only one of the things this queen is known for. At 19, she makes a name for herself in the world of the sex trade, going on to settle in Denver where she goes on to continue her long career in the world of sex, making over $2 million throughout her career. I got someone to be my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone between my legs, I'll make a dead man come all dead. I'm gonna turn back my mattress and let you all my rings. I want you to find me, daddy, tell the bell do ring Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Paying For It. Thank you for being here for episode 13. Today, we have another story of a badass businesswoman who goes on to make her career in the world of selling, you guessed it, sex. Before getting it to that though, if you have been enjoying my spicy takes on history and the ladies that thrived within the world they were born into, I highly suggest you like, follow, and leave a review. It helps out a lot. If you are really vibing with me and my spicy history takes, please consider subscribing to watch the video versions and help support me in what I'm doing here on Paying For It and also just to see history come to life with me. Okay. Let's get into some current events, shall we? Well, actually, before we get into that, today I would like to say that um, last week was my birthday. Now we're moving into April, and we went to Galveston to just vibe out at the ocean. And on my birthday, a gift we weren't expecting came, and that was in a form of a cute cute little kitten that needed a home and we did the random thing by saving it bringing it home and so if things get weird today it's because it's the first time he's ever really seen all of this stuff so let's hope he doesn't attack it (laughs) so far he's just staring at me like what are you doing? (laughs) But with that being said, he is super adorable and he's getting along nicely with my other babies. So we're happy to have him. We're happy to have him. But yes, let's get into some current events. As you start to learn and observe the world of those who work within the sex work, how much can you learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly, the glamour, and the money involved? Most importantly, the power and confidence that can come along with the empowerment of sex work. It is also super interesting to see the mindset of all types of sex workers, how just like we are individuals, each person within the sex work also has their own opinions 
on their jobs. Twitter is a place where a lot of adult entertainers go to advertise and market their craft. It is also, of course, their space where they advocate and fight for themselves and everyone who came before them. One of the biggest things I've seen from almost all seasoned pros, whether they are making millions or are just using it as a way to earn extra cash on the side, when giving advice on the business, Every single one of them can't stress enough how important it is to do your research. Learn before diving in. This leads me to my point and how important education is no matter what you're getting into, no matter what it is that you want to make your career or make a choice to go into. Learning and educating yourself before just diving in is so very important. Also, how the powers that be use education and the lack of access to education to keep the powers in their hands. It brings out the point on how throughout history, how education has been used as a weapon, keeping those without power and uneducated to keep them under their control. So my final thoughts on this is that If you sense that the world is trying to hide, cover up, and deny access to the education, you should always question why. In in the case of sex work, why are they so often trying to silence and cover up successful people within the world? Is it possible? It's because when women get access to their full potential and the power their pussy holds over men... It scares the living shit out of the powers that be because the powers that be are usually men, correct? The powers that be who normally are the ones yelling about how immoral it is, but are the first ones in line, always question why. In anything in the world, if you notice the lack of access to education, the real attempt to cut access to education should push you to fight to learn all that you can about that subject. Because why do they not want you to learn about it? You should always question everything. So that wasn't really a current event, but it was something that was weighing heavy on my mind because I always see every person within the sex world on Twitter and anywhere else talk about how important educating yourself is, but also how hard it is to find that education. So if you're curious about something, if you're questioning something in anything in your life and people around you are telling you not to question, just be silent, just follow along. Let that be a cue to you to learn everything you can, no matter what the fight is that you have to do, educate yourself. It's so very important. And that is all I'm going to say on that today. Just be vigilant on anything or anyone who is attempting to change history or attempting to withhold groups of people from education. We see it all too often in all types of groups within the world. Never let anyone take your power away from you. With that being said, you know what time it is. Grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail, 
coffee, or whatever you fancy. Today, I have liquid IV because like I said, I just got back from the beach and I got like a weird hand sunburn. I don't know if the camera is picking it up. Um, and it's been a couple days, so it's looking better. It's not blistered like it had been. So, you know, when in the sun, hydrate. So, you know, just taking a day to drink some liquid IV, drink some water, and uh, yeah. So, today I have my liquid IV, and yeah. Cheers, cheers cheers and let me introduce you to martha nyman or better known as maddie silks born martha a nyman in fayette county pennsylvania on april 26 1845 she was born to her father henry nyman a farmer and her mother sarah nyman who was a housemaker Martha was one of five children in the Nyman family. As a family, they moved to Erie, Indiana in the 1850s when Martha would have been four or five years old. As far as what her childhood looked like, sadly, not much is known. We can make some assumptions about her dad being a farmer and with Erie in Erie, Indiana, still being pretty much all farmland, we even still today, they probably lived in the middle of nowhere and she farmed most of her childhood. Being a farmer was not an easy living at all. They would have to be up before dawn daily all year around just to make enough money and food to survive. It wasn't uncommon. In fact, most farmers' families in the colonial farming era followed a schedule that looks something like this. The mother would wake up and make breakfast very, very early in the morning. They would eat and then her husband and kids would work on the farm from before dawn to after sunset every single day. So it was definitely an understatement saying farm life wasn't easy. Also, it wasn't uncommon for girls that were growing up in the middle of nowhere or on farmland to sometimes run away be kicked out, or even just leave when they became of age. That was just the beginning of what a farmer's child life looked like. If all they had to do was work long, long hours daily, well, that I would consider probably getting lucky for this time period. Now, that doesn't mean that Martha's parents were abusive or even bad. However, we do know that sometime between 1860 and 1865, Martha would have been around the ages 14 to 19, depending on when exactly she left. Sometime in that time period, she makes the decision to leave the farm life and her family and everything she's ever known behind. So she leaves home. We don't know why, what pushed her to leave home, but we do know that something did because she's off. 
Where she went is a little unknown, but it is possible she traveled to Kansas or Springfield, Illinois. Many historians believe that she worked as a freighter, freighter on wagon train on the wagon trains while also working as a public woman on the side. Other historians claim that Martha boasted about never actually working as a prostitute. So Martha is traveling and learning the world for herself. It could be said that Martha may have been a spitfire, as we often like to say, well-behaved women rarely make history. And Martha was no exception to this rule. Some sources said that she got ran out of Kansas. Why? Reasons unknown, but what, from what we do know of her, we, we could maybe safely assume that it had something to do with her personality and her choice of career paths. At a young age, she knew she was a beauty. Beautiful, sultry blue eyes, silky brown hair with voluptuous curves. It only speculates how and when exactly Martha chose to take on her alias, but as we know, it is incredibly common for women within the sex trade to take on an alias. alias. Alias? Yeah. Why does that word sound wrong? If we are to believe in some of the historians who have dug into her life trail, which is what I like to call the paper trail, left of a person who's no longer in our orbit, it would make sense that Martha left home and went to Kansas, most likely Dodge City, to get a job in the sex trade. It was probably then that she went under her new alias, Maddie Silks. By the time Maddie was 18, she had been working within the world. Doing what? We can't say for certain because, again, some sources write that she never sold sex herself. Eventually, at 19, though, she decides to start her own house in Springfield, Illinois. She made a name for herself as the youngest madam on the frontier. Not only was Maddie a beauty, but she showed promise at a young age to have a brain for the business. In her first brothel, she was capable of managing a very profitable parlor house. Some historians say that sometime before she moved, she marries her first husband, Charlie Silks. However, if or when she married him and when and where she got rid of him is a mystery to history. Maddie, while running her first parlor house, gets word about the thousands of men who are moving to the boom towns and cow towns of Colorado because of the boom in mining happening within Colorado. Maddie being the smart businesswoman she was and knew that if there was a mass amount of men relocating to small towns, that would mean money in her pocket if she took the opportunity. That she did. So eventually, Maddie takes herself and four other girls who had been working for her in her first brothel and buys a tent. She then creates a traveling brothel within the small towns of Colorado, which is so interesting to think about. Just her traveling around, 
putting, put, taking the, our tent up and down and making it work. I mean, I guess it worked for a while too. But eventually, she finds herself in Denver, Colorado, and it was known as the Silver Queen of the Rockies. $23,000 a year in silver was being pulled out of the hills in the area in the early 1870s. So Maddie decides it was time to put down some roots, getting on the action of the mining towns that already had an established red light district. Upon arriving in Denver, she goes on to purchase a property right smack in the middle of Holiday Street, was later renamed by the locals as Market Street. Why, you may ask? Well, that's because Market Street, well, it's where you could find all the nightlife saloons, dance halls, gambling dens, and of course, the popular drug at the time also had its opium dens. Crazy to see that still today, this is an epidemic. Morphine may not be the form we go to today, but that doesn't mean it's not still a real issue in today's world. Vice was plentiful here, so it already had a draw to it because the nightlife is everyone's way of letting loose even back in history. It's weird to think about that, right? how different but similar history is. Nothing, though, was more of a draw than, of course, the ladies. The ones, as long as you had the right price, you could have the fantasy of her. She could help you understand yourself. She could provide you with a safe place to be yourself without judgment if that's what you needed. So honestly, nothing was more powerful of a draw than the ladies, of course, and the houses that resided within the red light district on Market Street. Side note, I think it's important to be sex positive and sex work positive here on paying for it. In order to do that, I need to be better about telling all perspectives of sex work a non-judgmental way. I want to make sure that moving forward, I don't shy away from all sides of consensual safe sex work. Work is work. So even though today I won't be talking about anyone in the cribs and stuff like that, I want to make sure moving forward that I'm not shying away from those stories. And I'm also not shying away from just because a lady was working in a crib doesn't mean she wasn't successful. Even though even today we can see just because some may not have thousands of followers within OnlyFans or Twitter or however you're finding your work doesn't mean you're not being successful and making money. Just different strokes for different folks, I guess. So of course, Market Streets was where you could find your advice if that was what you needed. It's reported that this one street had over a thousand women working. So it was only natural that the district or street, in this case, got its nickname. Just in this case, it was actually renamed to Market Street instead of Holiday. So yeah, it was only natural that Maddie ended up 
on Market Street, where she buys her first property, it goes on to get a name, the wickedest thoroughfare in the West. A year after she moves to Denver, she meets her one true love, Court Thompson, in 1877. Her good-for-nothing gambler, true love, that is. At this time, Silks has already made a name for herself and was making money. However, her boyfriend, well, he was a gambler and not a very good one. So at first, he was gambling away his own money. But then eventually, it became her money that he was losing. Thompson, though, didn't just take thousands from his lover. He also would openly cheat on her, beat her, and publicly embarrass her. She loved him, though, and she tried her best to protect him, even though he didn't deserve it. Normally, Maddie would turn her head to the ladies he would be with behind her back. That was until one of his little side chicks became a little too attached. Side note, I don't know. We only get what we get from history. So whether he was laying hands on her, probably. No, this was the Wild West out there. They were both probably laying hands on each other. But that doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it cool. So don't do that. But also, was he cheating on her or did they have an open relationship? Because I know that some people's versions of sex, uh, some people's versions of sexual relationships aren't always monogamous so they might have had an open relationship as long as no feelings were attached we don't know we can't say that for certain but I'm just saying maybe that was the case and as history goes we might just be writing as him cheating on him because most of the time she was seemed pretty open and okay with the fact that he was sleeping around until one of his side chicks got a little attached. Right around the time Maddie moved to Denver and met Court, Kate Fullerton, another madam, had also moved to Denver and set her eyes on Court. Maddie, though, was having none of that. She had invested or lost way too much money in Court. No way she was going to allow him just to walk away into another woman's arms. So, on August 24th, 1877, on a Friday night, Maddie and Court ended up in the Denver Park Bar. Katie happened to be at the same bar. You know how booze and jealousy can go hand in hand. So it wasn't a surprise when Kate and Maddie started talking shit to each other. The pair starts arguing loudly. And that is when out of the fucking blue, this motherfucking court decides he wants to defend his girl and maybe defend himself. Depending on on what Kate was saying, really. She could have been like, your man wants me. He tells me you're gonna, he's gonna leave you, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's something that he was saying. And he was like, I gotta get this shit taken care of. So my girl don't, because it was very clear that even though Katie was working in the business, she clearly wasn't as successful as Maddie because where's the proof, honey? Where's the receipts? Okay, so Corey couldn't mess up his good 
ATM, you know, no offense to Maddie because she's more than that. But like to him, he's like, she provides me money. So I need you to shut the fuck up. Um, and he decides to do a shitty thing and he punches Kate in the face, which, oh, you asshole, which like, what the fuck guy? Like, what are you doing? Another man, Sam Thatcher, wants to restore order and get things under control because he's like, what? He also then gets punched in the face by court for trying, you know? He probably said some shit and then court was like, yeah, well, I'm going to fuck you up too. Court being a big shot also has his friends step up to try attempting to attack Thatcher some more. Katie, though, dismayed, I'm sure, by just getting punched in the face. Like, I don't mean to laugh, but I'm sure she's like in shock that she just got punched in the face. Um, but not also wanting her friend who was trying to help her to get hurt more. So she places herself between Thatcher and the gang. And for this, though, she gets kicked in the face by this motherfucker and he shatters her nose. So court, not only are you a lousy, lazy piece of man, but you're a shitty person, you disgusting guy. Okay, check that anger. He went on, he then even goes as far as drawing a gun on her as if he was going to fire. Luckily, though, his gun is knocked to the ground, the drunken brawl coming to somewhat of an end, which like, what an asshole really why 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 do that and so not worth fighting over but back then they were there was no limitations to how much you could drink there was no rules to like public fights and stuff like that there's no rules you can't you can bring your gun anywhere you can open carry there was just no rules anyone could have a gun and even though like today we still have a gun problem there's still like it was way worse back then, if you get my drift here. Anyways, fight kind of dies down. But later that night, when Court was heading home for the night by wagon, somebody ran up to the carriage and fired a shot that grazed his neck. And I'm going to say he deserved that shit. He's just so lucky that it didn't do more damage because it did just graze his neck. He did survive, unfortunately. But it was rumored that Katie was the one who fired the gun. And you know what? Hell yeah. He broke your motherfucking nose. He tried to kill you. You should have fired. Uh, hell yeah, girl. Good for you. According to legend, though, the following morning, Silk and Thompson were back in Silk's Bordadello tending to their hangovers and bruises. Meanwhile, across the street, Sam and Katie are recuperating across the street in Katie's brothel. It was on Tuesday following that Friday night brawl. Silk goes down and files a complaint against Fullerton Kate with the district attorney D.B. Graham, which is like, Maddie, what the fuck are you doing? Like, she got kicked in the face, punched, and got a gun drawn on her by your man. So, what? Why are you filing charges? But I guess the because the because the bullet grazed her man. That was like, 
and they had proof of that that she files charges uh crazy to be honest katie would katie then would go on and leave that morning on a train for kansas city because she was not sure what would happen if she stayed in denver and how the police would handle this situation so she left that morning um off she went and that was the last they heard of katie really and that's the crazy thing is like back then depending on how the cops liked you or their mood or whatever was how that you were going to be treated or if your case was going to be treated fairly so she was like probably not gonna dip out now if that was the end of the story we might not even be talking about it today however a reporter named forbes Parkhill, who got wind of the brawl at the bar and wanted to do a story on it. So he went and he went down to an attempted an interview the ones involved. Well, the story he gets wasn't up to his par. So it wasn't the one he runs in his column. Seems like even back then, some journalists like to be storytellers and not reporting the facts. And because of that, a legend was born. So if you've ever heard of Maddie Silks, you've probably heard about this legend of the nude duel. The duel is often sensationalized and throughout history, the facts have slowly faded away until we get the legend get the legend story, which of course is more eye-popping than the original story, because somehow throughout history, the simple bar duel turned into a naked gun duel of two women fighting over a man. And it goes a little like this. Maddie, after finding her man in the act, chooses to chase a naked Katie out of her room into the streets where she goes on to challenge her to a duel. Faced back to back, count down and walk 10 paces. So like one step is one, two, you know what I'm trying to say? So they're back to back and they're like slowly pulling the walking away from each other. And when they get to 10 paces, they turn and fire. Both, though, missed their mark. But Kate, when Katie fired, she did hit something and she hit Court in the, the neck. Freaking out, that's why she left town. But that's, it's all just legend. No naked women were in the streets. I mean, it would be fucking so funny, though, if that was the case, right? I, I mean, I much prefer that story, but and it's hilarious, but... Unfortunately, it was just your typical bar drunken brawl. But after the dust settled from Silks and Fullerton's bar brawl, Silks goes on to continue to run her brothel and deal with her man. They eventually go on to get engaged and married in 1884. Maddie, what you doing, girl? What you doing? You don't need that in your life. Come on. Their relationship was always tumultuous, tumultuous, but Silk stood by her man and allowed him to spend a lot, a lot of her money. She boasted on how during her career that she made about $2 million, but a lot of that was gambled away. Most likely, 
due to him being a gambler, his life is threatened at one point and he has to get out of Denver, probably because he's owing some money to some people. And maybe Maddie was like, I'm not paying this shit off. You already like fucking spent so much money of mine. Or maybe she just didn't have it at that point. She's like, "Mm." or maybe it wasn't anything to do with money. And he just pissed the wrong people off because he seemed like an asshole whatever the case, his life is threatened. He has to get out of Denver. Maddie goes on to buy them a 1400 acre ranch near Rory, Rary, where she keeps court and 21 racing horses. These horses raced in Denver under Mrs. C.D. Thompson. Maddie Silk continued to run her brothel and race her horses in Denver. When she was in Rory, though, the place that she kept her husband under lock and key, tucked away, so he'd maybe get stay out of fucking trouble, no one knew her or what she did in Denver. So she was leaving, living this like double life. And she she was respected in that town, whereas in Denver, she was not respected as much. So she was able to have like breaks away from the hustle of Denver. And I think that's, that was really nice for her. She enjoyed that. When Court and Maddie Silks met, Court had left his wife and child to run off with her. So around 1886, a little girl shows up at Maddie Silks door claiming to be the daughter or maybe granddaughter, historians aren't for sure which, but the little girl claims um, that she has lost her entire family or got kicked out. Not sure what happened to make her, um, they're not really sure, historians are not really sure what exactly happened to make her seek out her father or grandfather, depending on which one it is, but she is in need of help and has no other place to go. And she comes to Maddie Silk's door claiming that Court is her father slash maybe grandfather. And she's like, I'm here. Of course, the asshole that is Court didn't want anything to do with her and tried to turn her away. He was like, get out of here. I don't want you get out, get, get. (laughs) However, Maddie was having none of that. She took in the girl and she fell in love with her. Like she was like, not in that weird way, but like she fell in love with just being a mother. So she eventually would adopt the girl and send her to a private and very good boarding school. Their relationship was clearly strong because her daughter would become one of Maddie's beneficiaries for when she passed. Maddie almost comes to her senses when it comes to court filing for divorce in 1891. She sued him for divorce and charged him with being a drunk wife beater and a philanthropist, which is a cheater. However, soon after this, she drops the charges and they reconcile, which girl, no, you shouldn't have. They stayed together until his death in the 1900s. He reportedly died due to either from spoiled oysters, (laughs) which what? It's kind of hilarious. Like, what? Um, Or possibly the whiskey and opium problem he had. So either way, Maddie made sure she buried him 
in style. At this point, Maddie is middle-aged, plumped woman who's running a fairly successful Bernadello, but she wants more. She doesn't want to just be a successful house. No, Maddie has her sights set on Jenny Rogers' house, the most successful madam of Denver's house, that is. So in 1889, the construction of this house was overseen by Jenny Rogers, Madam Rogers, who seems to have quite the story herself. So we'll have to do a episode on her because, um, yes, queen. So she builds this house herself and she is the one who goes on to run the most successful and infamous. It's super infamous in her own right in Denver. So she's running this house, loving this house. But for Maddie, this was what she felt her dream house. She seemed to feel as if it was made for her. So when finally the house becomes available after Jenny Rogers passes away in 1909 and left the house behind to pretty much no one, the single most famous parlor house in town, Maddie jumps on the chance to take it over. And well... She sure does. And she takes it over and allows it to get its own name. And so the single most famous parlor house in town, the house that Maddie will go on to take over and turn it into the House of Mirrors. This was an opulent ran parlor house. Maddie runs the lower level as a restaurant, and the upstairs was where all the fun was to be had. House of Mirrors was a lavish setting and the perfect house for Maddie. The house had doorposts carved to represent phallic symbols, and in the parlor room, with hundreds of glass-faced prisms, which hung from like eight-foot mirrored ceilings and gave the room this shimmery beauty that would reflect perfectly off the gorgeous golden harp that she kept within the room. So she just took this already ran, very nice house, stepped it up a hundred. She puts all these beautiful mirrors and beautiful like, colorful you know how like fucking kaleidoscopes look it it looks gorgeous and then she places this golden harp and it's just golden hour on a hundred okay beautiful so it's no wonder that it becomes very very successful and she's also got a like a restaurant down there that ran really good so locals were like hell yeah gonna go get some food then i'm gonna get some pussy afterwards it's a friday night you know like they were having a good time as for the ladies who worked within the house of mirrors they also were elegant and high class they were well taken care of as maddie served two meals a day breakfast at 11:30 a.m. and dinner at 5 p.m. The girls of course had to dress nicely. It was one of the only things that Maddie didn't supply for the girls. However, it is rumored that a lot of Maddie's girls were indebted to Maddie for their nice clothing. Like um 
she would buy them like they couldn't afford it when they first came in so she would buy them but she'd be like well you have to pay me back um they kept 50 percent of their earnings from those earnings though they still had to pay for room and board so like maddie was taking 50 percent, but she was giving 50 percent back to her girls but with that 50 percent that she was the girls were getting they still had to pay her for the room and board so kind of a lot you know but by all accounts, Maddie really treated her girls really well. They loved her and um, they didn't mind um, the fees that they had to pay. While she was running the House of Mirrors, she goes on to hire a house bouncer, the handsome Jack Reddy, a man many years her junior. But it wasn't long before they become lovers. And in 1923, when Maddie is in her mid-70s, they are married. And, you know, good for you, cougar woman. Do your thing, baby. Do your thing. Maddie continues to operate in her house. And she also invests in other properties up until Denver's red light district was forcibly shut down in 1950. After she is forced into retirement, Maddie goes on to live under the name Martha Reddy and lives out her remaining days lavishly with her young, handsome man from her earnings in the life of ill repertoire. She states in an interview in her later days, I went into the sporting life for business reasons and for no other. She said quite matter-of-factly, it was a way for a woman in those days to make money and I made it. I consider myself then and I do now as a businesswoman. I operated the best house in the town. I had as many clients the most important men in the West. So she is stating that she has no shame. She was a businesswoman. She did what she had to survive. And she did it very, very successfully. Maddie would go on to pass away on January 7th, 1929, after complications from a fall, sadly. She has a small and she had a very small and intimate funeral and she is buried by her court under the name Martha Reddy in Fairmount Cemetery in Denver. Silk who was an amazing businesswoman and made millions within her world but lived a very lavish life left in the state of 4,000 in real estate which was her current cottage she had been living and some some like about 2,500 dollars worth in jewelry including two diamond rings she wore as her trademark and an 11 diamond cross 11 carat diamond cross that hung at her neck she left her estate to her husband jack reddy and her unnamed daughter and even though it wasn't much that's because they spent it honey she lived life full and beautiful because you can't do anything with your money once you're gone really so anything that was left was gone to like her new husband and her daughter but yeah she she wasn't ashamed of spending that money as fast as she was making it and that is the story of maddie silks what a queen i think she was able to make her well-owned mark on the world 
She leaves us with her mark on history in a form of a brawl that got sensationalized into a naked duel. However, her real mark is made on what she was able to accomplish within our world as a woman. And as we know, that is not an easy thing to do, especially in the 1800s. Anyways, that is all I have for you today. If you haven't already and you are liking my spicy history takes, please like, follow, and leave a review. It would mean a lot to me. Also, I highly recommend that you subscribe, see my cute face, and see the video versions come to life. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your nights, a great weekend, and goodbye. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone between my legs and make a dead man come out. I'm going to turn back my magic and let you all my spring.